Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 76 of my 6G Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one of episode number 76 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I am Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 23-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 Music fan slash expert slash nerd and uh, each week with this podcast I take one song by one artist from the 60s and split the show in two parts first part of the show I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song which will include the chords melody and lyrics and the second part of the show I dig deep into the history behind that track in that part of the show I talk about who wrote the song who produced it what studio the song was recorded at um, who are the musicians in the track whether that be the session musicians or the band members um, where the studio was located at and uh, what label the song was released on where that label was located at and the original Billboard peak position the song made on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and the year, month it was released. All that is in the second part of this show. Now, before you on this week's episode of the podcast, I want to give you guys some really, really cool, really uh, dope updates. Um, the first thing that I wanted to update you guys on is that as far as the 60s show is concerned, now, a lot of you out there, it's getting pretty close. I think it's like um, the weekend after this weekend. So if you're still planning on going, you know, definitely, uh, you know, it is getting closer. But the thing I want to update guys with, one thing I want to update you guys with you on that is that um, it's, there's been a slight change of plans. Instead of it being a three-hour night of all 60s tunes, um, there is going to be an opening act for the show. So here's how it's going to go. Okay, so instead of it being um, all like, you know, 60s tunes from 10 to 1, there's going to be an opening act f- playing for the first hour of the night. So um, the, fir- the first opening act is going to go on from 10 to 10.45. Um, now, I, I don't have the full name of the opening act off the top of my head, but, you know, next week I'll probably will have the full name of the opening act, and I'll let you guys know that. But... The thing I'm getting at is that um, they're going to go on from 10 to 10.45, and then after that is going to be the 60s show. Now, the way this show is going to work is that there's going to be the opening act going on from 10 to 10.45, and then uh, from 11 to 11.45, my friends are going to be going on and performing um, you know, the 60s the songs I chose to sing f- for them to do. And then from midnight to like 12.45, close to 1.00, I'm going to be doing a set. I'm going to be closing out the night doing my favorite 60s songs. So, um, yeah, so basically that's how the night's going to go. Um, you know, you, you can come for the opening act if you want to, but if you want to come for the 60s show, then uh, it's the, it's the that part of the show officially starts around 10.50, 11 o'clock. So I would definitely get there for that. If you want to come to the show, you can come to for the opening act if you want. Like I said before, 
I don't have their full name as of right now, but I will get that very, very soon. And yeah, so it's either way, it's going to be a great time. You should definitely come. And it's my birthday too. So if you listen to this podcast, you can, you know, approach me after the show is over and you can tell me how much you like it or, you know, what are some things I could do to improve it. But anyways, um, but yeah, so if you're listening to this episode, this podcast, you're in LA, you want to come support me in, a, in an event that is pretty good, pretty tied to this podcast because a lot of the songs we'll be doing that night will be songs I've done on my show so far, including some that I haven't yet. So yeah, that'd be really cool if you can do that. Plus, um, also, there's a good chance that um, the next next interview episode of my podcast will be happening very, very soon. And uh, basically, who I'm going to be interviewing next for my podcast is somebody very, very interesting. Now, um, he is a brill-building songwriter. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this yet for my show. I haven't really done a deep dive into the Brill Building yet. You know, um, I did one episode about the Brill Building really early on in my podcast, like maybe like the 20th episode. I can't really remember off the top of my head right now. But anyways, um, you know, I haven't really done a full length Brill Building episode yet. I mean, there's a lot of writers from that Brill Building, from that scene that wrote a ton of really great songs. And I've just... At this point, I've barely scratched the surface about uh, writers from that scene in New York City. So um, I'm going to have him on the show, and we're going to talk about some of the writers that were around at that time. And we're also going to talk about some of the songs that he wrote, too, because he's written a decent amount of hit songs from that time period, and he's worked with a lot of songwriters that have written some really big songs. You know, So we're going to be talking about that with him. He's also written some songs for some really... Uh, six commercially successful, uh, you know, cartoon TV shows from back in the day as well. And we'll talk about that as well. Um, his name's Mark Barkin, and when this is going to happen is that, um, it's going to happen probably on the 80th episode of this podcast. So right now we're on 76. So we're getting we're approaching pretty close to 80 episodes. So it might happen sometime in November, probably before Thanksgiving or maybe after. We'll have to see, but. Yeah, for the 80th episode of this podcast, we're going to have him on the show, and it's going to be great because we're really going to get deep into the realms of, you know, the Brill Building and just the writers that came out of that scene and the publishers and the recording studios and the session musicians. It's going to be really good. So I'll let you guys know when that actually happens. And, uh, yeah, so don't definitely don't miss out on that one, and hopefully I'll see you guys at my 60s birthday show again. It's the Hotel Cafe, November 2nd, 10 to 1 p.m., $10 cover on the second stage. It's going to be great. It's going to be on my birthday, so I can't wait to see you there. But well, yeah, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so um, the song I'm going to be doing this week. Okay, so I don't know if you guys have noticed this by now, but... Um, it's been a minute since I've done a female artist on my show. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, it's been a while. I mean, I think the last time I did a female artist on my show was quite a minute ago. And I thought, okay, so, you know, we need to, I need to show the female artist from the 60s some love on this podcast. Because, you know, there was, there was a ton of really great female uh, you know, artists from the 60s, and it wasn't all guys, even though majority of them were guys, I feel like there were just some great female singers from the 60s, and I figured that, okay, I think it's time I should probably show some of them some love, and just show you guys, 
exactly you know what other kind of kinds of music were going around at the time other than just you know the the boy bands or you know the vocal groups that were all guys and stuff like that so today's episode is going to be on another great female singer from the 60s that you probably don't even know about personally you might not have ever heard of this girl i mean she's not a big name from that time period she wasn't like aretha franklin she's kind of obscure so i think guys are really going to like this one but one thing i wanted to mention to you about her is that um one really kind of big misconception a lot of people have about 60s uh female artists is that a lot of them didn't write their own songs and while this is true to a certain extent a lot of girl groups didn't write their own songs there were a handful of singer-songwriters, female singer-songwriters in the early 60s. Now, get this. A lot of people think that whole female singer-songwriter thing didn't really start until the early 70s with Joni Mitchell and Carole King and Carly Simon. Well, before any of those people came onto the scene, I mean, of course, Carole King was writing songs not as an artist, but as just a songwriter, but that's a whole other story. But anyways, before any of those artists came into fruition in the early 70s, there was a small group of female singer-songwriters in the early 60s that basically, you know, sang the songs that they wrote. You know, they might not have produced them, but they wrote these songs and they sang them. You know, but the thing, the big distinguishing between, uh, distinction between the female singer-songwriters of the early 70s and the ones in the early 60s is that the female singer-songwriters of the early 60s were writing songs that weren't necessarily filled with super depth and emotion and they weren't really complex or introspective and they weren't very i mean they're basically just like straightforward love songs i mean you know it's not like you know the songs that the female songs the female singer songwriters wrote in the 70s were very deep and introspective and very you know just complex and you know and but the but the songs that the female singer songwriters are writing in the early 60s were the poor opposite of that i mean the lyrics are very straightforward very easy to understand i mean there wasn't any like people weren't really thinking about who these songs are written about completely unlike the, the songs that the female singer songwriters uh came out with in the early 70s but anyways so um the artist i'm going to be doing this week and the song i'm going to be doing this week is a song that she actually wrote and that's really cool but anyways um Okay, so to start off this episode, um, this song, let me tell you something. It is sexy and hot as fuck. I mean, seriously, I just, when I listen to the song, it's so steamy and just so sultry. And it's just so, god damn, is this song hot. I mean, literally, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, everything about it, from all the instrumentation aspects of it to... You know, to to the to the vocals in the song, it's just incredible. And even if you've never heard this song before, it's just oh man, <laughs> it's amazing. And I can't wait to share it with you guys and talk about it with you. This song was recorded in January of 1963, but released in March of 1963. It's by an artist named Barbara Lewis. It's other than Hello Stranger. <laughs> Hello, stranger It seems so good 
My God, this song is absolutely fine as fuck. Holy crap. I mean, hot damn. This song is just so fucking sexy. And if you're a guy listening to this podcast, this song might give you a boner if that's if it's it's that hot. I mean, if you've never seen a photo of this girl who sings this song and you have no idea what she looks like, man, I mean, this song could really turn you on. Trust me. But anyways, as per usual with these podcasts, I'm going to get into what makes a song so steamy, both musically and lyrically. But first, let's dive into the song's music. Okay, so probably things that make the song so sultry and just so gorgeous. And by the way, um, this girl that uh, who sings the song, she's on the same label as Aretha Franklin. Um, you know, but she definitely had different sounding, more sort of uh, definitely softer kind of voice that was more traditional to other singers back uh, before uh, they came out. But anyways, um, bar, you know, the this what makes the song so sultry are the percussive drums and, of course, Barbara's vocals. But really, the star of the show, this entire song is organ player in, in this track. I mean, literally, this is probably one of the most organ driven R&B songs the entire decade of the 60s. And man, does he just play some of the most tasty chords in the plant that just make the song oh so juicy. And really, just the way the organ player interacts with the drummer is just so interesting. I mean, literally, he, what he's doing is that there's a push and pull rhythm going on with the drummer and the organ player that creates this Latin rhythm, and the organ player holds down the chord and creates these tasty licks to play on top of the chords. I mean, he's playing, you know, those chords he's playing on top of what Barbara's is singing over. But really, um, one thing that I haven't really dived into with this podcast that I might as well mention is that sometimes it really makes me mad that back in the 60s, session musicians were rare, usually never given credit on albums or singles. I mean, you would think that for songs where it wasn't a band and it was just a group of singers or a singer, they would credit the musicians who played on the album or st- or on the single on the hit single, but to be honest with you, this rarely happened back in the '60s, and it really really sucks because on multiple occasions a session player would add on some so much to the song and basically make it a hit with whatever part they added on to the track, but most of the time their names would not be printed on the original album liner notes or on the album uh, cover art actually on the back too, or single artwork. And they would have basically gotten just a modest session fee from whatever union they belonged to for the session that they played on for the song, and that's it. And the reason why this was such a bad way of doing things back then was because the general record-buying public would never, ever know about these musicians. And if somebody got hooked into a specific song and fell in love with it because of a specific part played on the record by a session musician, and if they ever wanted to know exactly who that musician was, their answers to that question would oftentimes forever go unanswered. And it wasn't until recently that many longtime internet institutions started to give credit to these musicians where when the credit was long overdue, but this was about 50-plus years after the fact, you know? And some of the musicians on these songs would die not knowing, ever knowing if they if anybody would ever be able would be able to know or recognize who the hell they were. And the you know, the general record buying public would remain completely unaware of the contributions they make to popular music. But the point I'm getting at is that the guy who played organ on this song was essentially just a hired gun. 
but man, he totally should have gotten a featuring credit on this song because I cannot imagine the song without his organ playing. In fact, I don't think the song, if, if the song ever won any kind of awards, I don't think, you know, it, it would have if it wasn't for, um, you know, the organ player. And if it did win any awards, I think whoever produced the song should have included the organ, the name of the organ player, his name in this thank you speech, you know, because I can guarantee you this record would absolutely suck if it was not for him and his organ playing on this record. But of course, you know, that never happened originally. He never, the organ player of the song never got credit, but Wikipedia does list his name as a, as a musician on the song, but his name was, of course, left off the original album uh, tra- that the song was released on and the single too. And God only knows if he's even aware of the fact that, you know, they, they you know, his name is on the Wikipedia page for the song and if you ever lived to have seen that personally or if somebody in his life ever informed him about that because there's a good chance he probably would have he probably wasn't even aware of the fact that you know his name as an organ player is listed on wikipedia and on a couple other different online websites and he would live the rest of his life knowing that nobody was going to know about the very important contribution he made on this particular record playing organ on it and all the accolades he would have ever gotten for playing organ on this worldwide top 10, top 10 smash. The only thing he would have ever gotten for doing that very specific, very important part was just a basically a modest session fee, which probably wasn't even that much back in those days. It was probably like 50 to 70 bucks, but that's probably all he ever thought he would ever going to get for you know playing on the song was just that fee and then that's it you know he wasn't nobody was ever gonna know who he was and people wouldn't recognize him you know for that con for that contribution but anyways um getting back to the song another thing i love about this track is the song's backup vocals no now pay close attention to how this record sounds both sonically and musically i'm sure you know about a singer named amy Weimhouse, and i'm sure you know that she was one of the most famous vocalists to try to bring back that whole retro 60s sound in most recent years. I mean, it wasn't like it was a while ago, but still, I mean, in the 21st century, she was somebody that was trying to bring back old school 20th century, you know, rhythm and blues and soul into, you know, the newer time frame that we, you know, we're not in right now, but back then we were kind of far away from that. But anyways, well, I can pretty much guarantee you that her and her producer, Mark Ronson, were listening to records like this and trying to recreate the sounds of records like this one. And when you listen to some of her, some of Amy Winehouse's records that had a whole male team of backup singers, you can bet money that she was probably listening to this specific song, Hello Stranger by Barbara Lewis, and also get, you know, he, he she was listening to that and trying to recreate that whole sound that is uh, on uh, this record. But anyways, um, so getting back to this track, another thing I love about this record is, again, those major seven and minor seven chords. And honestly, if you're a songwriter and you're trying to write R&B pop music, you should give these chords a try because um, too many modern songwriters, especially in the R&B pop world of today, and you know, they they the a lot of these songwriters, you know, are all about those minor keys. And in reality, uh, these, you know, that's that's cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with minor keys, but 
you know, these major and minor seven chords in major keys are essentially the ingredients to making baby making music. I mean, I'm just going to give you an example. Al Green, he used those kind of chords all of the fucking time with his songs. And his songs are like literally a dictionary definition of baby making music. I mean, seriously. I mean, I grew up listening to him too, even though he's from the early 70s, and he's great. And using chords like major and minor seven chords are will automatically set yourself set yourself apart from everybody else in today's market as far as people are trying to write R&B pop songs because everyone else is going to go for those minor key songs. Well, you could be doing something different by incorporating those major and minor seven chords into your songs in major keys. So if you're listening to, listening to this episode of this podcast and you're a songwriter that does R&B or pop, take a cue from this song and maybe try to incorporate elements of the song into your current songs that you're writing. Or you can do this something completely different, you know, than this song. You can just stick to what you're doing with those minor keys. At the end of the day, it's all up to you. But anyways, another really cool thing about this song is how much it sounds like a Motown slash Mary Wells song, even though it was never recorded in Detroit or released on the Motown label. And you can tell that the city that the song was recorded in was in direct competition with Motown since this song had had many elements that were lifted directly from Motown records put out by Mary Wells, such as the male backup singers and the organ and the percussive drums and the coy female lead vocals. I mean, this was a common thing back then, like businesses who were trying to sell similar products with their competitors to try to compete with them. It really wasn't anything different back then with the music business. I mean... All these major labels and independent labels are pretty much all competing for the record buying public's deep pockets and the DJs of top AM radio stations, Radio Airplay. So in order to do that, they made similar sounding songs and records with the company that they were getting a lion's share of the record sales and Radio Airplay from and to try to compete with them. But if you think about it, there really was room for everybody to succeed back then considering how many different independent labels were able to have huge hits along with some of the other big major labels. And something that, you know, still exists today in a completely different form, even though a lot of the mainstream pops up you hear you turn on you know, radio day is for major labels. Um, so much, you know, music today that's not, you know, major label stuff and more independent music. Um, so much of it is being released by the artists themselves on their own labels. You know, and a lot of you might out, out there might think this is a brand new concept, but really, groups like the Tokens and the Isley Brothers were doing actually doing that in the '60s. The Tokens of BT Puppy and the Isley Brothers of Teenet Records. So they were releasing stuff. Artists were releasing music on their own labels as early as the '60s. And but I'll talk about that more in a future episode of this podcast. Moving on, let's get back to the song. And since we've talked, covered a lot of ground with the song's music, let's talk about the song's lyrics. Because again, like this is one of those songs that probably has one of the most timeless lyrics on its face of the planet. And it's definitely a song that even if you were not born in the 60s or the 50s and you weren't alive when the song came out and it was originally released, I guarantee you, you'll be able to relate to it. But first, let me ask you something. Is there somebody in your life that you haven't seen or spoken to in a really long time? And if this is true, then when do you get the opportunity to see this person? I mean, when you're complete, like, let's just say you get the opportunity to, like, see this person you haven't seen in years and years and years, and you see them again, you're completely overjoyed. You get to see them just to, you know, get to, you know, the opportunity to see them in person, talk to them again. 
after not being able to do that in such a long time. This could be like four months, six months, two years, three years, four years, five years. I mean, as long as it's someone that you haven't seen in forever. I mean, well, you know, one would think that this wouldn't necessarily happen in this this day and age because now we have social media and cell phones and now that disconnect of not seeing or hearing from a person long time isn't as strong as it was the time in our history when we didn't have any of, th- any of those things. But at the same time, you know, here's the thing, is that a lot of us, you know, tend to get really, really busy with our lives, whether we're working, going to school, you know, whatever. You know, we get so busy during our lives is that it's really easy to lose touch with somebody you once felt really close to, especially, you get this, if someone isn't responding back to your calls or texts or messages, that's when that disconnect kind of happens. You know, if you, if you don't, if you don't go, to, if you don't have the same job that they do and you don't go to the same school that they do, it's hard to be able to see them, actually see them in person, especially if they moved out of your city and they don't live in the same city you do anymore. You know, so again, if they don't, if you, if they don't respond back to your calls or texts or messages on social media, chances are you probably won't hear from them for a while unless they reach out to you and call you up and ask you how, how they're doing, how you're doing. You know, so unless if you don't call them and they don't call you, then you probably won't hear from them a long time. But anyways, um. You know, the thing is, is that in this song, the girl is seeing her ex and is completely happy to see him because according to the context of the song, she hasn't seen him in a quote unquote mighty long time. And if you think about it, this lyric seems even more sentimental if you think about it within the context of the time that the song is written and recorded in. Because remember, in the, in the 60s, we are living in a time before cell phones and the internet. So it's incredibly easy for people to be disconnected with each other unless they're able to talk to each other on a regular basis, either in person or over the phone or via snail mail, like physical handwritten letters. So, but if none of those things were happening, if you weren't talking to someone in person or over the phone or via handwritten letters, um, you know, you never really ever saw or heard from this person again. But again, it's like if somebody doesn't respond to your messages or texts or Instagram DMs or calls you back in 2019, it's the same kind of idea except the point of communication is different. The same thing happens today when you don't hear from them in a long time or if they never bother to reach out to you to see how you're doing. Trust me, I mean, this happens almost all of the time with so many people and friends that I know personally. And it can happen with you, for you as well. And if you don't necessarily... You don't. You didn't necessarily have to have lived through the '60s to be able to relate to what the singer is talking about, or just seeing a person that she had feelings for again after not having seen him in a really long time. And also, I love how she kind of hints the audience that they used to be in a relationship. You know, uh, you know, like for example, in that if you're gonna stay, please don't tease me like you did before, because you know I still love you. So, you know that I love how they kind of she kind of hints that they were once like a couple at one point in their lives. You know, even though obviously now they're not. I think that's really cool, and I'm sure that happens with you as well. But anyways, um, one really important, interesting thing I wanted to point out to you about the song, you know, is the structures how unusual the structure is, because if you take a good look at it, I mean, there isn't really like a good verse or a chorus or a bridge. I mean, there isn't even really like a good hook. 
And it's really just one section being repeated with no bridge or a completely different section to give listeners a break from listening to the same damn thing over and over and over again. Although, I will say that there is kind of a hook in the song, and what the hook is, it's not even played, sung by, you know, the singer. It's that shubop, shubop, my baby, and that's really cool. I love how they just incorporated that in that song. It just makes it so cool. I mean, that is just amazing. I love that part. And that could be like the hook of the song. You know what I'm saying? That shubop, shubop, my baby. I think that could be the hook. But anyways, and the really, one really unusual thing about this song is that the title of this track only appears once throughout the whole song. Now, that's pretty unusual because I don't know how much music you have heard in your lifetime, but if you're like me and you've heard loads of music in your lifetime, you'll know that 90% of the commercial songs, regardless of the genre, repeat the title more than once. I mean, that's just, an, that's just a standard thing to do as a songwriter is to repeat the title more than once. And it's mainly because the title of the song, for the most part, serves as the song's hook. And most songwriters think that if they only say the title once in the entire song, you know, then nobody would remember the song after them hearing the song probably only one time on the radio or on a streaming platform like Spotify or Apple Music. But clearly, that philosophy did not stop the person who wrote the song from writing it and recording it and putting it out. I mean, the fact that in this song, you only hear the title once at the very beginning and that's it, it really makes it very interesting. It makes it very unique, too, because it's not like anything you would really hear today. Because everything you hear today, you're going to hear the title more than once. And that's the truth. And a lot of other songs for the time period are, are like that as well. And the fact that the song was such a huge hit, with the title of the track only being heard once, says something about the state of popular music at this time. I mean, it literally seems like at this time there really wasn't any, there wasn't a whole lot of rules, like like specific structure rules that songwriters had to follow at this time. Anything goes at this point. And I felt like a lot of, that's what a lot of 60s music felt like at that, that's what a lot of what the music that was going on at this time in the 60s, I was literally in anything goes kind of mindset. Didn't really matter the structure. It could be the weirdest, craziest, off the wall song imaginable, and it could still be a hit. You know, because there was really room for everything to be a hit, regardless of how weird or how unconventional it was. And while many hit songs today fit under a specific cookie cutter song structure with the title of the song, obviously repeating more than once, this one didn't. And and if you, it still made quite a lot of money for the songwriter who originally recorded it out. If this song got re-released today, would it be a hit? Well, probably not. But that, but does it mean it's not good? It definitely doesn't, because this song is incredible. It's really amazing, and if you've never heard it before, I think you'll love it. So that concludes part one of episode number seventy-six of my sexy music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on this week's song, you thought it was really cool, you thought it was really interesting, you never heard of this artist before you never heard this song before, please reach out to me and email me at samltwillieicloud.com. Um, you can also follow me and reach out to me on Instagram, too, at iheartoldies, and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Now, here's a couple things. So, um, if you're just checking out this podcast for the first time, there are some really cool things that are in the links uh, in the description of this episode of this podcast. Um, you can check those out. Um, one of them is the official Spotify playlist for this podcast. Now, on there, you'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about on the show so far, including some ones that have been mentioned in the interviews I've done on the show so far. Um, hopefully, you'll check that out. And if you do, please let me know. I really appreciate it because those, those are 
the cool thing about this playlist is that not only are these all the songs I've talked about on my podcast so far, but they're also some of my favorite 60 songs. Seriously, I mean, all these songs in these playlists are just amazing, and you really should check it out. And, uh, you know, and hopefully that'll give you some ideas for some songs I haven't really covered on my podcast before. Um, you know, maybe you can suggest those to me. You can do that by emailing me at samltwillyicloud.com. And you can also, um, you know, reach out to me on Instagram at IROldies as well. And also, if you're not on Spotify and you still want to listen to the songs I've talked about on my show so far, then check out the YouTube playlist for my podcast. Um, there you'll find mo- mostly all the same songs that are in, uh, you know, my uh, the, pod- the Spotify playlist for my podcast, except that it's on YouTube. You know, for those of you who don't have Spotify, so you can check that out as well. Um, there's a couple of songs in the YouTube playlist that are on the Spotify playlist because they can't I can't find uh, the versions of those songs on Spotify. So that's really cool. You should check that out. Also, if you want if you want to support my podcast a little further other than just listening to it, then please do check out my official Redbubble merchandise store for this podcast. Um, the link to that is in the description of this episode of this podcast. There you'll find all these super cool uh, T-shirt designs and you know logos. Um, you know, actually, it's 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 a it's my logo that I came up with. Um, you know, the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode and keep on trucking tie dye font with the name of my podcast on the bottom, and that logo is attached to a bunch of really cool different merchandise items. You know, we'll love it if you can go on there and please just you know check out the store and if you like find something you like and you want to purchase it please let me know by emailing me at samltwilliicloud.com please go purchase something from there and if you don't and if you don't have to do that but i really appreciate your support and uh also if you don't if you can't afford to buy anything i at least like some feedback on uh some of the um the, the logo and the prices of each item in that store but yeah so that'd be really cool and yeah, so um, I'll keep you guys updated on the show. Again, it's on November 2nd from 10 to 1 a.m. at the Hotel Cafe Second Stage. And it's going to be 21 and over, and there's a $10 cover. And yeah, it's going to be great. Um, also, uh, again, there's an opening act on at 10, and then my friends are on 11. I'm on at midnight, so it's going to be great. It's going to have a lot of good 60 songs that a lot of them have talked about on my show, so it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see you guys at this uh, show, and uh, you know, hopefully, you'll let me know what you think of my podcast. If you if you if you're listening to this podcast, and you're based in LA and you want to come support, you know, me in person, I'd be really I really appreciate that. But yeah, so anyways, um, I'll let you guys know what happens with the interview too. I'll def he's definitely interested in doing an interview. I just gotta plan out and everything. But yeah, but anyway, so I'm Sam Williams and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy. Really-